Thank you, Melissa and team. You may have noticed Melissa is not Nate. Uh, <laughs> Melissa attends our Brookside campus. Um, actually, her husband, Anthony, is one of our pastoral residents. He's preaching this morning at the Brookside campus, but she uh, was very gracious to come and help uh, lead us in worship through song uh, this morning as Nate is out of town. And actually, almost all of our worship leaders are out of town uh, this weekend. So thank you, Melissa, for being here. Uh, Tim is also out of town, so it's just you get more of me uh, this morning. Sorry. Um, we've, we've actually joked, I've joked with Tim and others, um, if you are only here as kind of a visiting friend or family member during the major holiday, holidays, you may think that I'm the only person that preaches here, because in fact, I have preached almost every major holiday in 2016. Uh, Tim and I will have a discussion about 2017 coming up. Uh, so he doesn't know that yet, but we're going to have that discussion. Uh, so anyway, it is, it is really a privilege to open God's word, um, whether it's a major holiday or otherwise. Um, so as we do always, uh, before we jump into God's word, let's pray uh, together and ask for his help in that endeavor. So pray with me. Father, thank you um, for this new day, a new year um, that we know you, you, st- you still sit on the throne in 2017 like you did in 2016. And we pray um, even this morning as we enter into a time of worship through hearing your word um, that we would believe that to be true, that you are in control of who's in control, like we learned uh, in the book of Daniel, that you um, are a father, a good father who loves us, like we've just sung about, and as, we, as we'll see this morning, that you are, um, you are the king, you are a humble king, God, that, that um, came as a babe uh, in a manger, as we just celebrated in Christmas. I pray that um, as we hear from you this morning, that uh, like, like I always pray where I speak my own words, I pray those would be forgotten quickly, but where I speak your word after you, God, I pray um, that your spirit would work with power and teach us, convict us, encourage us, whatever um, you know that we need, I pray that you would do that this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, kids, it's good to have you in the service this morning. I do want to say, I want to give you permission, right, and parents even permission right now, if you didn't grab a, a family bag with Play-Doh and crayons and all kinds of things. Uh, feel free to go get that right now. That's a fun thing to do. And the Kid Connects are there to kind of follow along with. But I do, kids, I want to ask you a quick question as we start this morning. Uh, this is not a hard question, so I actually do want you to, like, tell me the answer uh, as you hear it. But why did we, what did we just celebrate at Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Give me, Jesus born. That's right, right? We celebrate Jesus coming to earth as a little baby. And that's exactly what happened, right? God, the Son, he entered the world as a helpless little baby. But you know what else we sing about at Christmas? Not just that Jesus was born as a baby. He's not just a baby on Christmas morning, but he's also what? The king, right? We sing that. One of my favorite hymns, or carols, I should say. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Finish it and let earth receive her king, right? Now, it doesn't seem much like Jesus is a king on Christmas morning. You know, he, he where was Jesus born? Kids, where was Jesus born? Beth, man, you're killing it. Bethlehem, that's true. I'm thinking even more specifically. Where, like, was he born in a, in a palace, the most expensive place in the world, right? The, a, where a king would be born? No, where was he born? In a stable. What is a stable? It's a, it's a barn for animals, right? Jesus came... Uh, the, the king of the world, the universe, the creator of all of it, he came to earth as a helpless baby born in the lowliest of conditions. 
God came into the world about as humbly as humanly possible, and turns out as humbly as divinely possible, right? Well, now, we're, we're done celebrating Christmas. Some of you, that's really hard news to take in. Some of you are like, thank you. It's been October since we've been celebrating Christmas, right? But we're not done celebrating Jesus coming to the world as Savior and King, right? We'll never be done with that, honestly. Uh, we're just going to fast forward this morning about three decades into the life of Jesus when he makes another humble entrance as king. We're going to go back to where we left off uh, in Matthew back in September. Now, some of you, uh, if you're new with us, uh, either this morning or in the last couple, in the last several weeks, um, you didn't even know we spent 40 weeks in Matthew, right? Some of you have a hard time remembering what you did two days ago. So you may also have forgotten that we spent over 40 weeks in Matthew last year looking at the first 33 years of Jesus' life. We've seen there in Matthew 1 that Jesus, he sure enough is the king, right? That's, that's the whole point of that genealogy there is Matthew's trying to tell us this, this, this Jesus who's coming, he's in the line of David. He's the Messiah, the coming king. We saw in the, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount that what the truly, the truly good life looks like, and Jesus flips it upside down, right? Life comes through death. Uh, victory comes through suffering. All these things that, that he flips the kingdom upside down and says the good life, it may not be what you think it is, but it is the truly good life. And remember, his simple message from the very beginning was repent because the kingdom of God is here. Turn away, turn away from sin and turn towards God because his kingdom has come. And his message was accompanied with great power, with miracles, with healing. He feeds thousands of people, right? He's confirming his authority to the point that some want him out of the picture already, right? Especially the religious leaders of the day, those in power, want him gone. And all of his teaching and his healing ministry, it, it all is leading to this final week in Jesus' life, which is where we're going to spend the next 17 weeks leading up to Easter. So we've spent 40 weeks on Jesus' first 33 years. We're going to spend the next 17 weeks on this final week of his life, which is where Matthew spends most of the rest of this gospel. And it's not just Jesus' last week on earth. This is the most significant week in human history. And if you don't believe that this morning, I hope you will stick with us and come to find that is true as we continue on in Matthew. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 21. That's where we're picking up the story, Matthew chapter 21. Uh, this chapter records the beginning of this, uh, of his final week. Uh, and there are two major scenes in, in this text this morning. The first scene is a rather bizarre parade that Jesus basically he orchestrates for himself uh, into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry, if it's not enough that it's uh, New Year's Day, it's also, we're preaching Palm Sunday's text, so we're just trying to fit Trying to fit all of it in here at Maranatha, right? Christmas Eve, Christmas, New Year's, just to get a little Easter in there, right? Uh, so it's the triumphal entry text, but then the second scene is Jesus, he enters the temple. He's, he kind of flips out, he's flipping over the tables, right? This, uh, another sort of bizarre scene. And all the while, the people around him that are witnessing this, uh, both the crowds that follow him in and those at Jerusalem who meet him there, are asking this, themselves this question. This is a question I want for us to kind of keep front of mind as we continue through text this morning, is who does this guy think he is? Who does this Jesus think he is? Who is this guy and what is he doing here? I mean, that's the question that especially those in Jerusalem are asking themselves as he enters the city. So we're going to read together. Uh, keep that mind, uh, or keep that question in front of mind as we read. Um, and I'm going to read 
not slowly, not like painfully slowly, but uh, I do want you to sort of enter into the narrative. So just sit and listen. If you have a Bible, you can follow along, but I'm going to read um, this whole text, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. So hear God's word. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Prophet uh, Zechariah, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them, the cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you, you make it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, when they saw the wonderful things that he did, I love that Matthew says that, when when the the religious leaders saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying, these little ones, the children, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read, you smart people, have you never read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Now, there's a, there's a lot there, right? There's a lot in this story. We're going to try to cover it. Uh, we're just going to walk through the narrative, make some observations. Uh, but one important thing uh, to start, one, one pla- a good place to start is where we left off. So chapter 20, just one thing I want to notice before we turn the page to chapter 21. And we talked about it before um, throughout as our, in our time in Matthew. But during most of Jesus' public ministry, um, his identity as the Christ, as the Messiah, which we, which we see kind of from this side of the cross and 2,000 years later, uh, we've been talking about it pretty plainly throughout the book of Matthew because that's Matthew's point. But as you, you enter into the narrative, Jesus all along the way has been really cryptic about this, right? He's been really secretive about who he is, the Christ, the Messiah. He wants to keep it hidden, especially from the religious leaders of the day. And Matthew 16 is a really good example. Remember, Jesus point blank asked Peter, Simon Peter, who do you say that I am? You know, he asks, who do the crowd say that I am? And all the, he gets all these answers. And then he says, no, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter gets it, he gets it right. I mean, it's not, he's still, they, the disciples have a lot to sort out still. But at that moment, he gets Jesus' identity right. And then chapter 16, verse 20, Jesus says this. Then he, Jesus, strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. 
So Peter gets it right in this private conversation. It's clear Jesus is the Messiah. He is the, the promised king. And then he says to the disciples, don't tell anyone. It's not, it's not time yet. His identity needs to stay hidden until the right time. Well, chapter 20, this, the chapter right before us, and actually the story right preceding chapter 21, Jesus and his disciples, they leave Jericho. They're headed to the city. And on the road, they're confronted by uh, two blind men. Which, and they're followed by this huge crowd, which is not uncommon, right, for Jesus both to confront people who need something from him and to be followed by a huge crowd. And they cry out, these blind men cry out to him, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, which we just heard read. We'll get to that again in our story. And they keep yelling it over and over again until, until he stops to listen. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And everybody who, uh, who would have heard them say, son of David, no, this, this is a title for the Messiah. They're basically saying, Lord, master, promised savior, king of kings, the one that was promised to come and save God's people, have mercy on us. And what does Jesus do? In front of all these people, he says, yes, what would you like me to do for you? Now, we can read right past this, but it's an important turn in the story. Jesus doesn't deny in front of the crowds that he is the Messiah. No, he, he says, what would you like me to do for you? He accepts the title. The secret is now, the cat is out of the bag. The secret is revealed to the masses. And Jesus, is, he's been teaching about God's kingdom and the fact that he is the king. I mean, he's been veiled to this point, but now he's making it plain. I am the Messiah. I am the king. And he's making it plain, not just to the crowds and those in rural Galilee, but, but he's going to the city, to the, heart, uh, to the heart of kind of Jewish religious life in the day, to the people who were waiting, whose expectations were higher than anyone else's, who were waiting for a king to come and overthrow Rome and reclaim victory for God's people. So that's one important observation to note as we come into our story. The cat is out of the bag about who Jesus is and who he thinks he is, the Messiah. So back to our text, verse, or chapter 21, verse 1. It says that they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, uh, which, which directly overlooks the city and the temple. Uh, they can see the city clearly because the stopping point is less than a mile away. It would have been about uh, probably a 10-minute walk from where they are. Um, it's 2,500 feet above sea level. Um, so it's really a stunning view. They can see all of the city. They can see the temple clearly. And it's a busy view. The city would have been buzzing with activity. So it's, pa it's Passover. Uh, it's right at the beginning of Passover week. So um, remember Passover was the time that every year when Jews remembered God's deliverance of the Israelites um, from Egypt in the Exodus. Now, kids, do you remember what happened in that story in the Exodus? What happened? Do you remember what happened to the Red Sea? What did God do to the Red Sea? Did it split in two, right? When God, when, God, when God delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt, the Red Sea splits in two and, and, and they can walk across safely on dry land. It's an, an amazing display of God's power. So amazing that God's people remembered that moment every year with Passover. And Jews came from all over to be in Jerusalem for the festivities. And so there on top of the mount, Jesus tells his disciples, kind of overlooking this, this picture, he tells his disciples to do something for him. Kind of bizarre. He says, go into Bethpage, or this village right here, right in front of us, and you'll see, immediately you'll see a, a donkey and a colt. Untie them. Bring them to me. Uh, you know, if anyone asks, just tell them that the Lord 
sent to you, and they'll let you have them, which as a disciple, I'm sure they've seen enough already. They're like, fine, I guess this will probably work out, right? And it does, shocker. Uh, it does work out for them. Now, Jesus knew these villages well. This is, so Bethany is the home of, of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So, uh, so he's good friends with people who live here. Beth Page is right next door. He is no stranger to these places. They have seen his power at work. They've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and so, so these people would have been familiar with him. The disciples would have been familiar with this place. And he says, bring me these donkeys. And Jesus is arranging his entry into the city. It's another thing to notice as we walk through this story. That he is in complete control of this parade that he's about to throw himself to enter the city. He leaves no, no detail to chance. He's orchestrating the whole thing. And here's why Matthew tells us in verse 5. Jesus is making a very clear, very bold, very provocative statement as he enters Jerusalem. Verse 5 says, Say to the daughter of Zion, this is a prophecy, right, from Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Jesus quotes Old Testament prophecy here from Zechariah that's, that's about the Messiah. It's about this promised king who is to come. It's almost as if Jesus kind of looked up, he, he sort of Googled, right, which prophecies to fulfill to say, I am Messiah. And then he did that. Right? He, he, go, he indexes messianic prophecies, and then he does that on purpose. He fulfills the prophecy to say, I am him. Like, I am the one that, is, that has been promised to come. He knew exactly what he was doing when he rode into town like this, and Matthew makes that clear. Jesus is making a statement. For starters, another thing to notice, he is on a donkey. That's not only is that part of the, the prophecy, right? It's, it's important that Jesus, that this king enters Jerusalem, this daughter of Zion, on a donkey. Uh, but but it's, it's also a donkey. Like, that's something worth noticing. Um, Jesus says, Jesus rides into the, into the city saying, I am king by being on a laborer's animal, a servant's animal. Not a magnificent stallion or a powerful war horse or something dignified and strong, which would have been... What, what many kings did is they, is they came back into town after, after victory over their enemies. The city would greet them as they rode in on their war horse and sang praises to their king. Now, it's also, it was also common for some kings to ride into town on a donkey during peacetime. Uh, so this isn't, it's not uncommon to see donkey as royal animal here. That's something that is, there is precedent for that in Israel's history. Kings often rode on a donkey in times of peace. But that's exactly the point. God's Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King to rule all kings forever and ever, the one who will end all kingdoms, he is a peace-loving ruler. He is the Prince of Peace. We know that from Old Testament prophecy as well. There, there will be a time for a war horse at the end of things, but not here and now. Jesus' kingdom is characterized by peace, by humility, even by weakness, not by military might and strength and political power, and the crowds, Matthew says, the crowds respond by laying their cloaks on the road, by putting palm branches down. This is a very, a, a very Jewish way of saying, we submit to you as our king. And they shout, Hosanna to the son of David as he rides. They shout, save us, Hosanna, Hebrew, for save us, son of David, Messiah. So the crowds, they get it, right? On this kind of Palm Sunday text, they understand they are welcoming into the city the Messiah. That's what it means, Hosanna, son of David, save us. And they were thinking, this is it, right? Our king is here. 
he's come. He's going to save us. He's going to do it. It's finally going to happen. And they aren't wrong, not entirely. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. We'll get to that, frankly, over the next 17 weeks. But Jesus finally arrives in the city, and Matthew says the whole city is stirred up, right? It's thrown, it's kind of thrown into a tizzy. It's, there's Passover, there's this guy, right? Not only is it Passover, but, but now this guy is riding in like he owns the, owns the place. And Jerusalem kind of, Matthew says in verse 10, stops to ask the question that I've put before us for the entire text. Who does this guy think he is? Who does this guy think he is? Who is this? Remember, the city is waiting for a king, and here's someone riding into a town like he's their man. And at the heart of their question is the exciting, confusing, possibly even, even shocking realization, oh, wait, this guy thinks, he really thinks he's our king. This would have been a huge moment for them in Jerusalem, but Jesus, he isn't the kind of leader that the Jews were expecting. He's not impressive. He's not a military leader on a, or a political powerhouse. He's a prophet on a donkey, riding in on what Zechariah calls a beast of burden, a laborer's animal. Who does he think he is? And if you're writing anything down, you can write this down this morning. First, he is the king of humility. He is a humble king, which is not, it's not earth-shattering for us at this point in Matthew, right? We've seen this throughout Matthew, Jesus' humility, but it's worth, as we kind of re-enter into this Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and it's front and center here in this text, Jesus is the humble king, a king who came not to be served, but to serve. A king who came not to rule with coercion, but with compassion. Who came not to tear down his enemies, like, like many in the city would have, would have hoped for at this point in their history. We just want our king to come and throw out Rome. No, he's, he hasn't come to tear down his enemies, but to be torn down for his enemies. Who does this guy think he is? He is the king of humility. And what has he come to do? He has come to save through weakness and death. Not through military force or political power. That's, that's, it. That's, that's the major point of this entry into the city. Jesus has come as a humble king. But Matthew continues to record what happens next. And if you thought the donkey ride to Jerusalem was a little strange, um, really it's nothing in comparison to what happens next. He goes directly to the temple and he starts turning it upside down. Starts driving out the money changers, those who are there buying and selling, the vendors who, who had turned God's house into a trading post. Now, what is Jesus worked up about uh, exactly? What has him so upset here? And the answer lies in the purpose and the function of the temple. Simply put, the temple was a place for God's people to meet with him. It's a place where God's presence dwelled. It represented God's rule over God's people and served as a constant reminder of God's faithful presence among them. But even that reminder had a greater purpose, namely to remind the nation of Israel that God chose them to be a blessing to all nations, to be a blessing to all peoples. Remember, that's the whole point of God's promise to his people in Israel in the Old Testament. God's people were, to, were blessed. They were blessed to be a blessing to others, to the nations. It's God's promise to Abraham. And it's this very important promise that, that Israel has lost entirely. And that's what Jesus, that's what has him so worked up here. 
See, when Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers, he is quoting from Isaiah chapter 56 and Jeremiah 7. And Mark, in his account, the same event, Jesus is recorded with the fuller saying from Isaiah that says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is what God has been up to from the very beginning. He is a God for all peoples. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise that God made with Abraham to bless, to bless all the world, to bless all nations through this nation, his people. Jesus is the one making it possible for the outsider, for the foreigner, for the Gentile, for us to be welcomed into God's family. And his act of cleansing the temple is, a response, is in response to Israel's failure to preserve the temple as a reminder of God's plan and purpose for them to be a blessing to all nations. So who does he think he is? He is the humble king, but also Jesus is the king for all people. Jews had come to believe that the Messiah would come and cleanse the world of all of the unclean Gentiles, right? But we see as Jesus, the true Messiah, he enters the temple to make room for the outsider, for, for people from every tribe and tongue and nation. He is a king for all peoples. And what does he come to do? He has come to make room for any and all that would believe in him. He didn't come to liberate the temple f- from the nations, which, is, which would have been the common prevailing, if, if not the, what people said the temple was about. It's at least what they believed. The temple was, was to be liberated from the nations, but really, Jesus came to liberate the temple for the nations. For the last couple of weeks, we've sung, again, one of my favorite carols, Joy to the World. Joy to the World, let every heart prepare him room. Right? But really, Jesus came into the world, into a world with no room for him. It's one of the central themes to the, to the Christmas story, John 1, right? He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to a world with no room for him to prepare room for us, for you. And that's, our final, that's the final observation for this morning. Jesus is the king who came to you. He came to those who couldn't go to him. He came to the blind and the lame and the outcast, the poor and the sick and the helpless. He came for infants and children. I don't know if you saw, if you just noticed that in the in the final in the final scene there, where Jesus is cleansing the temple and the religious leaders are so upset about all these wonderful things he's doing, and the children get it, right? The children get it. The blind and the lame they come to him for healing. It's again sort of we see in Matthew this upside down reversal of the way of things. Children understand. It's children are, are those who, for whom the kingdom of God it exists, right? The weak, the outsider. And in the grand scheme of things, that's all of us, right? None of us can go to, go to God on our own. Sin has gotten in the way of that relationship since Genesis 3, the garden, the fall, when the first humans rebelled against God. Jesus came to save those who know they are weak, those who think, not those who think they are strong. Those who know their need for a savior. And one of the things that is just so clear and has struck me this week, studying this text, is I, I just so quickly want to like associate myself with those who get it here. But so often I'm 
I think I'm probably closer to those who are indignant at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing here in the temple. Are we saved by strength or by being insiders, right? Those who belonged in the temple or by our morality? We often think uh, that those things can save us, but that's not the gospel of Jesus here. We're not saved by strength or our goodness or doing better this year than last year, but only by grace. That's it. We're saved by a king who came on a donkey, like a servant. And really, it's worth taking to heart, or just taking this to heart at the beginning of a new year, right? And I'm sure you feel it, just like I do, kind of this tug to, like, uh, be better, do better, make some changes, um, get back on track this year. Um, and look, I'm with you. That's not altogether bad. That's a, there's some good there. Uh, it's easy to kind of hate on New Year's resolutions, but there's some goodness to them, to making positive changes, to getting stronger, whatever it is for you. But let me caution you about translating this into your relationship with God. Because the gospel message on display, even in this strange story about a donkey and a temple, is really truly all about weakness and humility. The gospel is about admitting and knowing that you are much more deeply flawed than you can ever know. That your list of New Year's resolutions should be way longer and much, much deeper. And that there is nothing you can do about the deepest problems in your heart. You are more flawed than you can even imagine, but you are also more loved than you could ever hope. With all, you are known with all of your issues, and you are loved. We've talked about that before here. I hope that's the gospel message. You are known and loved. And at the beginning of this new year, with all the things that you want to change, whatever it is, know this, that Jesus, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, he is a gentle, humble king who announced his kingship to the world on a servant's donkey. And he is the king who came to us, for us, when we could not come to him on our own. He is the king who came into this world to become like us in order that we might become like him. He is the king who put on flesh only to have it torn off at the cross so that we would not be torn apart from God forever. Who does he think he is? Who does this Jesus think he is? He is the humble king for all peoples who has come to bring us to himself. He is a king who came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. He is a king who shows no partiality and sees no final dividing walls other than sin itself. He is the king who has come to rescue us from ourselves and bring us back to himself. He doesn't save through strength but through weakness. I hope if you've, just as a refresher for the, from this gospel of Matthew, that is so true. Remember this reversal. Life comes through death. And our true life, eternal life, comes through Jesus' death. He doesn't ride in on a war horse and overthrow with military power, but he comes as a suffering servant to die in your place. So, Please go ahead, write your New Year's resolutions, whatever you need to do. I hope you will. It's a good excuse to have, to form some new habits and to be a little healthier. But don't do it for acceptance or to earn anything with God or to make a case for your worth. You are, you are known and loved today, January 1st, 2017. 
just as you are. You need a savior to die for you. That's true. You need this king, this humble king who came not just for the elite, not just for the strong, not just for the insiders. No, he came for the weak, for those who know they cannot come to him on their own. And he came to you personally. He came to you and he loves you. I hope you know that this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you um, that the gospel message is true for every part of our life. Um, Not just as we come and worship here on Sunday mornings and sing and hear your word read and preached, but God, also uh, tomorrow um, and the next day as we go to work, we we enter into whatever vocations you've called us to. Um, God, the gospel is good there too, is good news, um, that we do not have to be strong to, to make a case before you. We do not have to be on the inside um, to be loved by you. God, you, you, come, you came into this world and you, you come as our king who is humble, who is for all people, and has come even for us to make a way for us to know you. I pray that we would believe that to be true this morning as we continue to sing as we take the bread and the cup later, um, as we eat donuts afterwards, God, I pray, uh, as we are gathered as your people and scattered uh, into this city, I pray we believe those things to be true. In Jesus' name, amen.